The title of this morning's message is A Life Worth Living. A Life Worth Living. And if you've not already done so, let me encourage you to turn to Jonah chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. We are halfway through our study of the book of Jonah. And if you're coming in with us the first time, or if you missed some of the other sessions, pretty familiar story. Uh, the book may not be that familiar. It's okay to look in the table of contents. I mention that each week so no one feels any shame. Um, Jonah, here's a word from the Lord, and he runs. And God intercepts him. And he is swallowed and ejected on the dry land. And then when we come to chapter 3, verse 1, I felt a real need at this point in the story to just sort of slow things down. Because these particular verses are describing something in Jonah's life that I think is profoundly applicable to each of us. That is that when you've totally messed up and you know that the life that you have been living is broken and you are turning back to God, what is involved with that and what are you turning to? What can you expect to happen? So that's what's happening. When we look at verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This story is is remarkable in how God is described. God speaks to Jonah, he runs. God sends a storm to intercept him. The mariners on board the ship don't know why they're experiencing this storm and they believe in these various gods so they they draw lots and God uses this apparent uh, method of chance to identify uh, Jonah as the problem and so God exposes Jonah, sends the storm, exposes Jonah. The sailors don't want to throw him overboard. Obviously if he's an important man we don't want to make God mad at us and so they're trying to row to shore so that they can get Jonah out of the boat And God won't let them. And so they're finally forced to eject Jonah into the water. And then it says God sends a great fish. And he swallows Jonah. And then he releases him. Uh, God does all of these different things in the life of Jonah. I think it's fair to ask the question, why? Clearly, he wants to reach the people of Nineveh. But I think it's also equally clear that he wants to reach Jonah wants to do something in his life. And if you're reading this for the first time, if you were in ancient times and someone handed you a papyrus of the the story of Jonah for the first time, and you read this, and you're going, God spoke to him, he runs, he disobeys God, God captures him, he's ejected on the dry land. What is God going to do to a man who does that? I mean, if you didn't know the rest of the story, you have to be asking that question. And then if you're reading the Bible the way that you and I need to read the Bible, I need to put myself into the story. I'm asking not not only what is God going to do to Jonah, but what if I I give it up? What if I stop running? What if I come to him like Jonah and and I'm not running anymore? What is God going to do with me? What does he have in mind for me? The short answer is that he gives Jonah a life worth living. 
up to this point, his life was not worth a whole lot. The Bible says when God spoke, he goes down to Joppa. This is Jonah recording this later. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the belly of the ship. And when he's thrown overboard, he goes down into the depths of the sea. He has a near-death experience. He doesn't think he's going to survive. And it's pretty clear what the lesson is, that life, real life, is not running from God, but turning to God. Life, as God intended, a life that's worth living, is not moving away from God. In fact, that is actually moving away from life. It's not keeping God at a distance. It actually involves drawing closer to God, that there's a direct relationship, a connection between my relationship to God and the level or or the experience of life as God intended for me to have it. I first learned this as a college student. And I had been a Christian less than a year, and I was trying to share my faith with people around me. And, and I worked in, this, in the college or the university cafeteria, and, and I scrapped trays. I don't know if you know what that's like, but when college students get done with food, they just don't leave it on the plate. They mix it up in the glass, and they put things in there. And I mean, it's, it's awful. And they would roll these trays back to where I was and where some guy was standing next to me. And I... I tried to share my faith with the different guys or gals that I worked with. And there was a fellow to my right one evening, and he was from a country in Asia, and he claimed to be Buddhist. And we're talking. So I'm trying to share my faith with him. I said, look, you know, Jesus loves you. He has this plan for your life. He wants to change your life. He said, all right. Tell me about it. I said, well, John 3.16 says, and that was the only verse I knew just about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, friend, God loves you. He sent his son for you. He is prepared to forgive your sins because his son died for you. And he wants you to have everlasting life. And the guy said, well, what's everlasting life? I said, well, everlasting, that means it doesn't end. It means you live a long time. You don't die. And then he said this, and he was very serious. He said, sounds very boring to me. I thought, boring? It wasn't boring to me. And, it, and that bothered me. I mean, I thought about that a lot. I thought about it for days, and, and the days turned into weeks. And, and, and then eventually, I've been asking the Lord, what, what does this mean? How would I answer something like that? And we had a guest speaker at our church, and, and his name was Josh McDowell. Some of y'all may have heard of him before. He's a great communicator, uh, providing reasons for faith. And in passing, he said, I'm convinced that most Christians do not understand what everlasting life is. He had my attention. I mean, I said, yes, Lord. I wanted to know what this is. And this guy stands up and he says, most, most of us don't understand what eternal life is. He said, take your Bibles. And he said, turn, you don't need to do this, but he said, turn to John 17 and look at verse 3. And he turns there. I turn there. And it says, this is Jesus. He's in the midst of a prayer. His disciples are listening. Jesus is talking to God. And he says, this is eternal life, knowing God and his son whom he has sent. Knowing God, not living forever. It's knowing God and his son whom he has sent. Salvation, eternal life, 
is not just about escaping hell, not just about my sins being forgiven, but it's about a life that he wants you to have, and it's about a life that he wants me to have. That's why Jesus told Thomas in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why? Because I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so real life, life that you were made for, is a relationship with God. And Jonah was discovering that when he stopped running. It's like a whole reset when you come to chapter 3. And what God said in chapter 1, now he's saying to him in chapter 3. And, and he has this new opportunity to have the life that is worth living. Well, I see in these verses in chapter 3, I see four principles that help guide you and me as we think about how to live a life that's worth living. Here's the first principle. Listen every time God is speaking. Listen every time God is speaking. Our passage opens up this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, and that's how it opens up in verse 1. At the end of verse 3, it closes this way. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. That's where Jonah's life began. When he was running, he didn't have the word. He was, he was running from the word. He didn't have life. It was downhill. It was near-death experience. When he stops running, he receives the word. The word comes again. And that's where life begins. A life worth living begins with the Word of God. For you and me, if you're a Christ follower, the Bible is God's Word. It is God speaking to you and to me. In 2 Timothy 3.16, the apostle writes, all Scripture is inspired or given by God. All Scripture is inspired. And the word it uses there for inspired in 2 Timothy 3.16 is the word theonoustos, which means God, noustos, like a pneumatic drill, something with air. God breathed. And so all the writings, that's what the word scripture means, all the writings are breathed by God. That's what we believe. Now we don't believe because of that that this is an ordinary book. When Peter speaks of it in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20, listen to what he says. No prophecy of Scripture, that's this, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. And so it wasn't somebody sitting down saying, well, this is what Moses talked about, God, and so I'm going to write something kind of like what Moses wrote, and I'm going to get creative here, and I'm going to write something else. It wasn't, the origin of the Scripture was not from a human mind. There's too much coherence, there's too much uniformity, there's too much agreement throughout the Scripture for it to come from a single human mind, but it does come from a single divine mind. He goes on, Peter writes, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And the word moved describes what happens when the wind fills the sails of a ship and it is propelled by the wind. These men were filled with the Spirit of God. They were moved, it says, by the Holy Spirit. And their life was filled. And in the process of that fullness, in a way that is somewhat mysterious, God spoke through the filter of their personality, 
through their time, through their culture, to put things down on paper that represent the mind and the heart of God that you and I desperately need. Life begins when we understand that God is speaking to us through the Word. Now, not everyone believes that. You know that. You go into a bookstore. You can go to the religion section. You can browse online, Amazon.com, whatever. And you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of books on religion, on philosophy, um, people speculating about who God is, men and women, and their writings. And because there's so much variety and so many opinions and so many different ideas, we, we live in a culture that says it is completely arrogant to suggest that one perspective of God is higher or better than another. Because these writings by different people, should all be respected. And, and so to say that you know the truth is actually offensive. Your truth is fine for you. My truth is fine for me. And that is, that is kind of the mindset that's out there. Jesus made it very clear that you can't hold that mindset. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is totally different from every other religion or every other belief system on the planet because it is by itself, it is exclusive and says, this is the only way to God. And that's offensive to the rest of the world. But yet, if you even took Christianity out of the equation, different religions say different things about God to the extent that oftentimes they contradict one another. And so you cannot say, as most of the world wants to say, that it doesn't matter what you believe, God is the same, and all paths lead to the same God. We all worship the same God, right? And so we should coexist. And that's the mindset. Now, what's wrong with that? I want you to imagine that you and I are a bunch of ant people. Ants, A-N-T-S, not A-U-N-T-S. We're ants, ants, little bitty ants. And we're living on the back of an elephant. And we have our ant culture, we have our ant communities, and some of the ants live closer to the backside of the elephant, and others live closer to the head or whatever. And because of that, they have a little bit different perspective or impression or perception of who the elephant is and what he's like. And so the ants, us ant people, we sit down and we try to describe who God is, and we take our perception of God based on where we are on the back of the elephant, and we write down our perception of God. And we have all these different ideas, which is where we are. But what if the elephant decided to speak in ant language? What if the elephant decided to speak to the ant people and say, hey, I want you to know who I am. I have a trunk. Let me tell you about my trunk. I have, I have tusks. Let me tell you about my tusks. I want you to know where I'm going. I want you to know what I'm doing. And as the ants understood that the elephant was speaking and they recorded those words and captured those words, suddenly the words of the elephant take on a totally different, moves into a totally different category from the words of the ant people. And that's exactly what we believe as Christians, is that God has spoken and he has, he has revealed himself to us in this book. We don't worship the book, but it is the word of God spoken to you and me, and it is where life begins. When God speaks, and I believe that he's speaking to me, suddenly I have a way of knowing what life is like. If God is there and he is real and he is speaking, this is the greatest discovery that I could ever imagine on the planet. To know him 
as he reveals himself. To know the truth about the world that I live in on the back of this elephant. To know, to know the truth about this world. To know the truth about who I am. Not what somebody thinks about me, but what does God think about me? That's the truth about me. And to discover that, that the things I thought were really a problem, the things that I thought were really important, maybe I feel like I'm crippled by my past, crippled by my mistakes, and God says, no, you come to me, I can forgive you. I can wash it clean. I can come with my word to you a second time, just like I did with Jonah. There is a life for you still. There's a life that's worth living. And he speaks it to us through his word. How do you know when God is speaking? How do you, how do you listen when he is speaking? There are two things that come to mind. One is the word attentive. When I know that God is speaking, I need to be attentive to what he's saying. Whether it's here in this moment of the preaching moment where a pastor is speaking what God has spoken to him and he's read the scripture, he's studied it, and then he shares out of the sense of overflow what is God saying to the congregation. And in that moment, you hear that preacher speaking, and in the midst of it, it's not just about the Bible at that moment. It's not just about the preacher, but the Holy Spirit is taking truth and he is applying it to your mind and he is drilling it down into your heart and you know that something is happening that's extraordinary, that God is speaking to me. Or you're sitting in a Bible study group and you're reading the Bible together, or you're at home and you're reading the scripture alone, or you're driving down the radio and you're listening to something on the radio where somebody is teaching the word or talking about the scripture. And you realize that God is speaking. It is absolutely vital at that moment that you are attentive to that and say, yes, God is speaking. This is where life happens for me, is when God speaks to me. And not only that, and by the way, I was talking to somebody this week. It's just wonderful. They are growing in the Lord, and God has done so much in their life. And they said to me this. They said, I really wish we had church every night of the week so that I could come. And I thought, Phew. But isn't that great? They want to be here all the time. They want to be with you, other Christians, all the time. They want to be with people that know God. They want to learn from you. They want to learn from the Word. Why? Because they're attentive to God's voice. And then we need to be responsive to His voice. Not just recognize that He's speaking, but what is He saying to me and how do I need to respond to that? And, and to the extent that I respond... And I say, God, I hear what you're saying. I shouldn't go this way in my life. I shouldn't do these things. I shouldn't think these things. And so now I'm going to take your word in my life, and I'm going to conform my life to your word. And to the extent that I do that, I experience life. But if there's part of my soul, part of my mind, part of my practice where I'm not conforming to his word, I am running from life in that part of my being. And so it's vital that, that when he, God speaks, if I want to know life, I need to stop running. I need to yield to him. I need to listen to him. That's where life begins. There's a second principle in this text. We see this with, with Jonah. How to live a life worth living. Number two, wake up to the unseen realities. Wake up to the unseen realities. And there's a single word at the beginning of verse two, and it says, arise. That word literally means up, up. 
and there's a sense of urgency with it. Now, up. And it's what God spoke to him the first time. But he got up, he went the wrong direction. But this time God speaks and he says, Arise, Jonah, arise, get up, now. And there's a sense of urgency to it. Now why is that? Well, surely it's because there's a city of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people and something is about to happen to them that's going to take their life and they're going to spend eternity without God. And so there's a sense of urgency, surely because this message that Jonah is being sent with needs to be delivered and there are souls at stake and there's eternity at stake. Up. And for Jonah to be part of this life that's worth living, he's got to carry with him that sense of urgency. What happens in this moment is that Jonah begins to see that the reality of the world around him consists not just of the things that I see, but also the things that I cannot see. And in fact, the things that I cannot see are far more real and more important and more instrumental in the overall experience of my life than anything else that I can see or touch. You know, it's remarkable to to me to read the accounts of Christians in the early church who would go to their deaths under persecution, being eaten alive by wild animals or having their bodies dismembered or boiled alive or, or whatever was happening to them, and they would go into it and they would be given the choice, deny Christ and live or, or, or claim Christ and die. What would they do? They'd sing praises to God. They would have a joy about them. They were so joyful, it was unnerving to the people who were persecuting them. And you know, that continues today around the world where there are millions of people who follow Christ who are being persecuted for their faith. And, and we hear the stories, we read the news accounts of how they go joyfully to their death singing praises to God, refusing to deny Him. Why? How can they do that? Because they have seen something. They have seen something that is more real to them. They have seen something on the other side. They have seen something that for most of us is unseen and is absolutely has blown their minds and it is more precious to them, more exciting to them, more satisfying to them, more fulfilling to them than anything that this life has to offer. You know, some of us are sitting around here on Sundays, we're waiting still for our ship to come in, for something to happen good in life, for me to be finally satisfied, to be at peace, to be happy, and, and we're searching, and we're dreaming, and we're longing, and maybe it's this person, maybe it's this job, maybe it's, maybe it's something else that I can find, and then when I get a bad diagnosis or something scary happens to me physically, then I stop and think about my mortality, and then I do everything I can to keep my life here, now, keep it safe. And at that point, we as Christians are no different than the rest of the world. We are absolutely the same. We are looking for our happiness, and we are looking for our treasure, and the thing that will finally satisfy me here, something here. And when you and I begin to see that we live in a world that is that is in trouble, where there's, there's a great battle taking place, a war taking place, for souls, that you are part of that if you follow Christ. And you have an enemy who hates you, who is a liar, who wants to steal from you, who wants to kill you. 
And, and he is called the God of this world. And he's the one animating people that don't know Christ. We watch the news. Most of the people in that news show don't know Christ. Who's animating that program? Who's, who's speaking those words? What philosophy is coming through if it's not a godless world and a life without Christ and one in which Christians don't even exist? When we begin to see that he blinds people that don't know Christ and he wants to blind you and me and part of our problem is we are asleep in a world that is dark and we need like Jonah to get up, to get up, to realize that this is not it. There's an unseen reality that can blow your mind too and that's far more precious That's your treasure, and that's your destiny. And when you and I see that, we live differently here. And it becomes here a life worth living, (laughs) because I know where I'm going, and I know what waits for me. Number three, how to live a life worth living, there's a third principle here. Serve where you are sent. Serve where you are sent. He says, arise in verse two, go to Nineveh, that great city. You have a place, a place where you are sent. You know, the word mission, we talk about mission and missionaries a lot. The word mission, Latin, missio, means to send. And a missionary is someone who has sent. The word apostle means in the Greek, a sent one. And that's the nature of all ministry is that you and I are sent. I don't create, make up stuff, decide what God wants me to do with my life. He already has a plan for my life. One of the uh, first verses I memorized as a Christian, I, I memorized most of the stuff in the King James Version, so that's still what comes out. For by grace are you saved through faith. Most precious verse to me. For by grace are you saved through faith. It means it's a gift that saved me. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I don't work for my salvation, I receive it when I trust Christ. And that's how you receive salvation, for by grace are you saved. But then in verse 10 he says this, in Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That means that when you became a Christian, God had a plan for you. He has things for you to do that no one else has that assignment. Now, let me illustrate it this way. I brought with me a couple things. You know, a lot of times I fear that in church, we are, we are like at a ball game. And so, for a lot of us, church, or being a Christian, means I cheer for somebody else. Go, preacher! Go, deacons! I think there's a team out there called the deacons. Really? Go, deacons! Go, Sunday school teacher! And we cheer these people on as they are following God to the places where they are sent, doing the things that they are sent to do. 
But you know that, that God has not called you to be a cheerleader? Now, surely we're to encourage one another. I'm not talking about that. But God has not, not, God has not called you to just stand by and watch. He wants to send you. And so there's something else that needs to happen. And this is really where God's taking you. Now, I know we're not supposed to have scary costumes at church last night, but I did bring this. <laughs> don't be afraid. Just relax. It's okay. It's safe. It's safe. <laughs> what God wants to do is, is to suit you up. And he wants to put you with the team down on the field. And he wants you to be ready for that moment when the coach comes and he says, Son, go! Go! I want you in! I want you playing! This is the play! This is what I want to do! Go! And every person here that knows Christ, that follows Christ, you are being sent. God has a plan for you. You, may, you say, well, I'm not in good health. I'm confined to my house. I'm bedridden. You are still sent. You may not be able to move a muscle. You are sent. God has a plan and a place for you in his work. That's where life really gets interesting. That's when it really gets amazing is when I realize this. Now, Jonah, God could have used somebody else. I mean, Jonah surely was not the only guy that could have gone and, and talked. I'm putting this away so you don't have to get scared, okay? God could have used somebody else. He didn't have to use Jonah, could he? I mean, he, he could have used another prophet in Israel. He could have sent somebody from Judah. There were other prophets that were working. I think Joel was a little older than him. I, there, was, there were other prophets. But God wanted to do something in Jonah's life. This was going to be the most amazing moment in Jonah's life. We'll see this next week when we see what happened in Nineveh. The most incredible thing a human being could ever witness, ever see. God didn't want Jonah to miss it. And God has things for you to do. He is sending you, and he doesn't want you to miss it either. Purposes, plans, places, and people. If you're a Christian, God has a place, and you are sent. Number four, how to live a life worth living. There's a fourth principle Trust him to reveal himself through you. Trust him to reveal himself through you. He says, uh, rise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Preach to it the message that I tell you. How does God wants to reveal himself through you. I, a life that's worth living is when God works in you and through you and, and people's lives are changed. There's nothing more fun than being part of a church where people are being saved and lives are being changed. I want to be a part of a church like that. Don't you? I mean, why else are we here? <clears throat> why else do we do this? I mean, I, 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 think, I can think there's a lot of other things we could do that might even be more entertaining than what we're doing right now. But, but what makes it amazing is when God uses you, uses us as a church, and he reveals himself to somebody, and their life has changed. That is fun. It's a lot more fun to be a part of a growing church than a church that's not growing. And so that's why we're celebrating when people give their lives to Christ. That's why we're celebrating baptisms. That's why we want to celebrate when people feel called in a ministry, called to missions, or called to a Sunday school class, or whatever you're called to. Now, how does God reveal himself through you and me? He does it, he does it first in the way that he, 
treats you. I mean, he, he reveals himself to others because he first does something that puts you into a place to where you see God at work in a way that maybe nobody else is ever going to see. And that's exactly what happens to Jonah. Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city. But I'm not going to tell you what to say. And when you get there, then I'll tell you what to say. So Jonah, I know you've messed up. I know you're not looking too good right now because of this experience in the belly of the fish. And I know you're, you're a Hebrew, and I know you're zealous about the Old Testament stuff. He says, and I'm going to send you, this is what's got to be going through Jonah's mind, I'm going to send you into the most hostile environment that you can imagine, totally dependent on me for what to say. I'm not going to tell you ahead of time. The first time he spoke it, you can go back and read it, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. In other words, draw on your experience, draw on the word, draw on this, this recognition of what's happening to these people, and speak truth to them. He doesn't give him that opportunity the second time. The second time he says, Jonah, you know what you most need? If, if I'm going to work through your life, you've got to be a man of faith. If I'm going to work through your life, you're going to have to trust me for some things. If I'm going to work in your life, you're going to have to be obedient to me even when you don't have all the answers, even when you don't know what's coming next, even you know, when you can't see past the first or second step. And so when God uses a man, when God uses a woman, Often, there's a work he does in them that comes first. And it's this work of learning to trust him and him revealing himself to you before he reveals himself through you. There's a second part of this. If God is going to reveal himself through your life, he does something to you. He causes you to have to trust him, to see the the miraculous, even in your own life, answers to your prayers, trusting him when you don't know what, what to do next. But then he works through you, and there is this work of power in the area where you're serving so that the results are clearly bigger than your human ability to explain. And that was certainly the case in Nineveh. We'll see this more next week. But but Jonah goes in there. He doesn't even know what to say. He gets there. Obviously, God has revealed it to him. He begins to preach. And the entire city turns to God. You know, I, that was bigger than Jonah. That was bigger than, than one guy. Most amazing thing probably in the Old Testament is how many of those people turned to God when this one guy preached. And when God works through you and through me, there's often that same incredible result or power, and you may not see it right away, it may come later, but there's that same incredible result and display of God's power that when people see what's happening as a result of your involvement, they don't go and say, oh, man, look, that guy's amazing. What they see is God is at work. The results are bigger than you. I liken it to, uh, to wiring a house with my favorite electrician, while the power's on. Um, you know it's not a good idea, but it's a lot more exciting than any other way to do it. And walking with him 
not knowing what a day is going to bring, not knowing what he's going to do next, not knowing who's going to lead you to talk to, not knowing where he's going to lead you or send you next, not knowing what's going to happen when you go teach a class or preach a sermon or talk to a friend at work or visit a neighbor next door, going into that conversation, simply being open because of the Word of God is working your life, simply with a sense that there's an unseen piece of my life, there's an unseen piece of that person's life, going into it with a sense that I am sent and expecting God to work, and I have no idea what's going to happen next, but it's a much more life worth living than the boring way of life that leaves God out. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Lord Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or do you sometimes think those other people have it better than me? Wouldn't it be fun if I didn't feel badly about living a certain way and I could just go live any way I wanted to? Or those people are living and they seem like they're having a great time doing all the stuff that I don't think I should do. And yet Jesus gives us a promise here. He is saying that if you know him, if you have trusted him, and you have given your life to him and you're following him, he said that you have at that moment in your possession the best quality of life available to a human being on the planet. It's yours right now. You have this life, this awesome life with God. You have this awesome potential to do and be a part of the things he made you for. The greatest moments of your life are going to be parked in that life. You have the abundant life. Jesus said, I came so that they could have life. Not just so your sins could be forgiven, not just so you could go to heaven, but so that you could have life. Life. Here's the bottom line. If you miss the life God offers you, you have chosen the smaller life. For the last two years, that has really parked in my brain is the primary difference between a person who trusts Jesus and a person who is not following Christ. Is that they think they're smarter, they think they've got more of the answers, they think they've got the better way, but all the while, they have chosen the smaller life. Is that, is that what has happened to you? As you look at the way that you're living, have you chosen the smaller life? Are you going into each day absolutely expectant and excited at what God may do that day? Or is it just another day? Have you found yourself running from God and you are beginning to experience the fact that when you run away from God, it's all downhill? The trajectory is all downhill. Things don't get better. And, and things... Things don't make more sense, and things are not happy, and things are not wonderful. And I really believe it's part of the mercy of God that you're experiencing that because he's calling you back to himself. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. In a Baptist church, we call this an invitation. I like to think of it as a response time. It's an opportunity where 
if I was sitting where you are, I would be thinking, Lord, what are you saying to me? What, what, are, what have you said, and how do you want me to respond? Because I want to be attentive to your word, and I want to be responsive to what you're saying. And so we, we offer a lot of different ways you can respond. I mean, we, we usually play a song, and those words may be words that give voice to your heart, and you can simply sing. And that could be your response. We, we usually have pastors at the front, and these are men who are here to pray with you, to talk with you. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never found the life that he offers, we are here to share scripture with you, to answer your questions, and these guys will, will really be guides for you in this moment. And we invite you to come publicly because we think there's incredible value biblically to taking a stand and saying, I am following Christ. And so we invite you to come publicly. Maybe you just need one of us to pray with you. Maybe you need to come and kneel at these altar steps. That's, that's another way of responding. And if God's speaking to you about a particular step you need to take or direction you need to take, I encourage you to, to nail it down and just, just come and kneel at the front for a few moments. Say, God, I heard what you said to me, and I'm going to be obedient to what you said to me. Maybe you have a burden for somebody. Maybe there's somebody in your family that you're heartbroken over what's happening to them in their life, and they're running from God, and you just want to pray for them. You can come and pray here. Grab a friend. Say, come pray with me. But this is a time where you get to participate, not just spectate. It's a time where you get to participate. What is God saying? How do you need to respond to him? Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you never stop pursuing us just like you never stop pursuing Jonah. And that for every person here, as long as we breathe, there's hope. So, Father, for the one who sees themselves as a runner, I pray this morning that you would stop them as you did Jonah and bring them back to yourself. Draw them to yourself. Father, for that brother or sister who realizes that they have kept you at a distance, but they have not been attentive to your word. Bibles are being left unread, and the life you had intended is being left unlived. And I pray for that dear one that they would turn to you right now and just cry out to you. Say, Oh God, I'm sorry. I don't want to waste my life anymore. I want a life that's worth living. I want to walk with you. I want to be sensitive to you. I don't want to miss out on the greatest moments of my life. I want to be right in the center of what you're doing, what you want to do with me. Father, as they cry out, I pray they would know peace and a real joy at being in a great place with you, a right place with you. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and just, just, just hover over this congregation and, and speak to each of us. This is for you. This is our response to you. This is our offering to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.